Hello again, this is Pastor Ed Collins with North Christian Church. This is part 72 of The Lord is Our Confidence. Let's open up in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this incredible privilege of gathering together this way, uh, this unique way and this unique time uh, in history, Father. We're so grateful for all the grace that you've been pouring out in our lives and the, the eyes that have been opened uh, through this time, Father, through the truth that sets us free. What a tremendous blessing this is, Father. May we never become familiar with it, but rather embrace it for what it is, a graceful expression of your love towards your children. Father, we do pray for those in the congregation uh, that are ill still, that um, they may hear this message, that they be uh, set free by it, be comforted by it uh, as well. We pray that they understand and know full well the comfort that you give them and the love that you have for them. Uh, and may we be witnesses along the way, Father. We pray also for those in the world that are still lost, Father, that um, they, they might be humbled and before it's too late, uh, receive saving faith. We are most grateful and thankful, of course, for your son's work on the cross to cancel out that debt and to make a time like this one a reality for each one of us to enjoy. Uh, we do just ask for your blessings on this message. We ask this in Jesus Christ's precious name. By the power of the Spirit, we do pray. Amen. Again, the Lord is our confidence, part 72. Uh, I want to begin uh, with some perspective, shall we? Uh, with a Psalm of David, a very popular one. Go to Psalm 23, verse 1. Psalm 23, verse 1. Again, just some perspective to kick things off. Uh, some welcome perspective uh, um, from my vantage point, uh, hopefully from yours as well. Uh, just, you know, gives us that sort of big picture setting. And that's really what the Spirit's been saying to this congregation as of late, because that's what sets us free. Psalm 23, verse 1, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Truly beautiful from um, a truly humble individual, David. Uh, let's couple that with a friendly reminder from this past week's blog, which was titled, Time Will Tell. Here's the excerpt, Time Will Tell What Exactly? Well, minimally, it tells us whether or not we have real faith. For many of us, the things that we're experiencing right now, not even, I mean, just the simple things, right? Not even even being able to gather together. I know that I miss you all. I know you miss each other. Uh, maybe just a little bit you miss me. <laughs> Anyways, just kidding. Um, 
just things like that. Uh, it, they're putting us to the test. They're putting our faith to the test. Um, but when we think about this, we have to think about things the way David thought, right? Think about what we just read. We have to step back uh, in humility and seek the big picture. That's been our theme over the last uh, few messages. Do you recall, by the way, what God said about David? Let me refresh your memories. Acts 13, 22, part B. And when God had removed Saul, he raised up David to be their king, of whom he testified. Imagine this. God testified and said, I have found in David, the son of Jesse, a man after my heart, who will do all my will. Right? Uh, to me, that's an even greater compliment than the one we noted uh, that God gave Job. Uh, he was the blameless and upright one. To me, uh, that's an even greater compliment. Um, although I'm not trying to make comparisons, uh, strictly speaking. I, what I say is, I say because, I say this because David is described relative to the Lord God's own heart, which is just wrought with intimacy. What an incredible statement. I have found in David, the son of Jesse, a man after my heart who will do all my will. Um, since we're in the Psalms pondering David, let's read a little more of uh, his words expressed in humility. Go to Psalm 34, verse 1. Psalm 34, verse 1. Again, what a tremendous statement about this particular individual. Uh, nothing, you know, strictly speaking, nothing necessarily, you know, great about David other than the fact that he had such humility. That's what made him great. And that's what the Bible teaches us about ourselves too. Psalm 34 verse 1, I will bless, this is David, I will bless the Lord at all times. Do you understand that? Just put that into perspective in your own life. That means right now, even if you're without, not to be silly, toilet paper, or without this or that, or your favorite this or your favorite that. Uh, during those times, you have to see the big picture and understand that God knows best. And you have to orient to this same viewpoint that David had, which is why God said, he's a man after my own heart, right? Verse 1, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. O oh, magnify the Lord with me, and let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord, and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. I sought the Lord, and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. We're going to end like that this, uh, in this message. Those who look to him are radiant, and their faces shall never be ashamed. This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. David's great example, outside of uh, his humility, of course, is his perspective. Of course, that's a function uh, of the prior. His great example here is his perspective, which is consistent with God's. That's what we've been after, seeking that big picture, that godly picture, Seeking to see things through a godly lens. That's perspective. Uh, and, and that's why uh, David was uh, described by God the way he was. 
Again, his great example here is this perspective, which is consistent with God's. We see this same perspective born of humility in the Apostle Paul. Go to Romans 8.38. Romans 8, verse 38. Again, we're looking for big picture. That's what we're seeking here. Romans 8.38. Uh, we want the same consistency that we just noted with David uh, who gave us Psalm 23 as well as Psalm 34. Uh, now we're going to look turn our attention to the Apostle Paul, who was also a very humble individual, a servant of God. Romans 8.38, For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, think about his confidence here, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any, anything else in all creation, you name it, will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. That sounds pretty confident to me. I don't know about you, but the Lord is was definitely his confidence. Um, and just as a side note, um, remember that this humility that the Bible speaks of, it isn't that aw shucks thing. It's, oh, wow, God is great, right? It's not aw shucks. It's, oh, wow, God is great. God is awesome. So this humility that David and Paul had, for example, implies awe and respect for the holy sovereign God of the universe. That's part of the big picture. We see him and we are humbled. God is all-powerful, omnipotent. Therefore, we have confidence in the hope we have in him. Romans 15, 13, may the God of all hope or of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. I just want to stop you there. Just, just stop your thinking, stop the presses, right? I want to remind you of something, presuming it's true, of course. Um, you are a child of God. You are a child of God. And just FYI, if you're not there yet, then you can be if you believe in Christ and the gospel after his name. But I just want to remind you that. I mean, we can get so familiar. We're, he's our father. He's not just God to us. He's our father in heaven. Uh, but if you are a child of God, uh, here's the gospel as I've got it written on the website. Jesus Christ, this is the gospel. This is the succinct presentation of the gospel. Um, and it's what's on the North Christian Church website. Jesus Christ, who is God incarnate, humbled himself to die on our behalf. Thus he, because the sinless, thus he became, that should say became, the sinless sacrifice to pay the penalty of our guilt. Uh, he rose from the dead to declare with power, that he is Lord over all, and he offers eternal life freely to sinners who will surrender to him in humble, repentant faith. Ah, is that not the most beautiful thing you could possibly read? Honestly, seriously, is that not the most beautiful thing? Uh, does not the gospel of Jesus Christ just, you know, put things right back into perspective for us? Doesn't it? I think so. Um, right back into perspective. Uh, snap, like that, you know. 
Uh, as I've mentioned in the past, uh, when we have this before us, when we have the gospel presentation, even to a believer, it makes us step back. It makes us think. It gives us clarity uh, as well as uh, it rejuvenates us. Uh, it excites us. It reminds us of our hope uh, in things to come. But in the context of this, a message like this one, we have to think about uh, our situation and like, you know, God's telling us to endure through certain kinds of suffering uh, and instead of sitting back and moaning and groaning, he's, he's working something out in us, in each one of us. He's saying, I want you to stop. I'm going to put a lot of things on hold in your life. And I want you to stop. And I want you to look for the big picture. And one of those things uh, that is a key element uh, in that perspective is this. The world is filled with only two kinds of people, believers and unbelievers. And that is it, my friends. That is it. Believers and unbelievers, not sort of tweeners. There's no such thing. It's either a believer or an unbeliever. Now, given the stakes, should anything else in life really matter? Honestly, I don't care what's going on. Should anything else in this life really matter? Think about the hope that we have in Christ through the gospel truth. We just read it. We believers in our God-given hope, you know, we like to, to think forward a little and, and see our futures in heaven. And, and because of that, we rightfully rejoice. Um, and that's the thing that sets us free. That's the thing that sets us apart, right? That, that perspective, that big picture viewpoint that brings us to freedom. You know, it's so very humbling what God has done for us. That was um, David's attitude as well as Paul's, right? It's so humbling what God has done for us. That's, that was David's attitude. That was Paul's attitude. They, it never got old, right? Um, that's like to echo Paul, right? All I want to know is Christ and him crucified. That's it. Anywhere we want. I just want to know him and him crucified. Why? Because he had that perspective I just presented to you. It's believers and unbelievers. That's all that really mattered at the end of the day for Paul. And when you're humble and you get right down to it, that's where you end up every single time because the gospel is the centerpiece of our lives. So let's grab a glimpse of what awaits us, shall we? Just for the sake of encouragement, go to Revelation 22 verse 1. Revelation 22 verse 1. And let's allow ourselves to be humbled by it, by the grace and the majesty of God. Why not? I mean, this is why it's recorded for us, right? Revelation 22, verse 1. This is what we have to look forward to. Revelation 22, 1. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. Now we're talking about uh, heaven here, right? Through the middle of the street of the city, also on either side of the river, the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads, and night will be no more. They will need no light or lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever 
and ever. How fantastic is heaven going to be, huh? Think about that. How fantastic is heaven going to be? Doesn't that just snap things into perspective for you, regardless of what's going on? Um, again, that's not our main principle right now. So let's get back to the simple truth. Again, the perspective, the big picture perspective in the context of this message is that the world is filled with two kinds of people. That's it. Believers and unbelievers. And given the stakes, should anything else in life really matter? So the answer is a resounding no. Um, so let's reflect on this. If the answer is no, and we just saw that in Holy Scripture, we hear what the Spirit's saying to us. We know that he's trying to open our eyes in this moment. He's using the, uh, the things that are going on uh, in our world right now, in our lives, the things that have sort of come to a screeching halt, the forms of suffering we might cling to or proclaim. He's using all that. Uh, to instill a certain perspective in us. So let's reflect on what's going on. Um, if we understand what we just uh, learned uh, regarding, uh, you know, there's only two kinds of people. Should anything else in life matter? The answer is no. Isn't that, if you look at life, it's really hard to tell nowadays, isn't it? Um, that people, anyone has that kind of perspective. And let me explain. I'm not just talking about the way things are even right now in this, you know, this pandemic where, um, you know, the truth of the matter, you know, people's uh, like time will tell, right? Our faith is sort of being tested and, and time tells us uh, when we're put to the test uh, what our faith is actually like. I'm not even just talking about that. I'm talking about before all of this even, before all of this, right? It wasn't that long ago. Uh, when when I take a trip to, say, Home Depot, for example, in the summertime and see all the shoppers, like little, you know, little worker ants gathering gardening tools and seed and mulch, and they all seem, you know, so preoccupied with the stuff that doesn't matter. Can't a believer be a garden? Of course, that's not my point. Okay, so don't get, you know, huffy. They, But they the point is that they seem so preoccupied uh, with stuff that really doesn't matter. The, and I often wonder, I mean, how can you not, right? If it just comes down to there's only two people in this world, believers and un unbelievers, I often wonder how many of these people are actually believers and share our hope for heaven. That's what I wonder. There's, again, there's nothing wrong with tending to your gardens. But how about your spiritual vineyard? Better yet, what about God's vineyard? Jesus spoke about this in parables. Go to Matthew 21, verse 28. Matthew 21, 28. What about your spiritual vineyard? All right, enough with Home Depot, right? Stop scurrying around like little ants uh, and, and putting all your hope in your garden this year, right? Hopefully you get some good tomatoes or something. <laughs> Jesus spoke about these things in parables. Matthew 21, 28. What do you think, he said? A man had two sons. And he went to the first and said, Son, go and work in the vineyard today. And he answered, I will not. But afterward he changed his mind and went. And when he went to the other son and said the same. And he answered, I go, sir, but did not go. Which of the two did the will of his father? They said the first. 
Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes go into the kingdom of God before you. For John came to you in the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him. But the tax collectors and the prostitutes believed him. And even when you saw it, you did not afterward change your minds and believe in him. I'm thinking about these people, believe it or not, at Home Depot, right? If they've heard the gospel and their mind isn't changed, then their hope isn't changed, right? Their hope is in their pretty little gardens. I'm worried about their souls. Verse 33, hear another parable. There was a master of a house who planted a vineyard and put a fence around it and dug a wine press in it and built a tower and leased it to tenants and went into another country. When the season for fruit drew near, he sent his servants to the tenants to get his fruit. And the tenants took his servants and beat one, killed another, and stoned another. Again, he sent other servants, more than the first, and they did the same to them. Finally, he sent his son to them, saying, They will respect my son. But then the tenants saw the son. They said to themselves, This is their heir. Come, let us kill him and have his inheritance. And they took him and threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. When, therefore, the owner of the, vine the vineyard comes, what will he do to those tenants? They said to him, He will put those wretches in a miserable death and let out the vineyard to other tenants who will give him the fruits in their seasons. So what happens to the person who refuses to take care of the master's vineyard? They are equated with the sons of disobedience. Ephesians 5, 6, part B, up here on the board. The wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. That's what I see. When I believe it or not, and I hope you're the same, because this is the perspective the Spirit wants to instill in us. When I go to Home Depot, that's what I think about. I think about two types of people. Uh, it's great that people are scurrying around, and you know, there's nothing wrong with keeping yourself busy, and you know, because idle hands are the devil's playground after all. That's not the point, but it really comes down to one thing the gospel, right? Uh, and here's look at this right in Holy Scripture the wrath of God. That makes me like shake when I think about the wrath of God. It comes upon the sons of disobedience. So I'll say it one last time to drive the point the Spirit's making home. This world is filled with only two kinds of people, believers and unbelievers. Maybe that's why he slowed our lives down. So that we can just even simplify our thinking. Down to this. That thinking this way about, you know, why we're even here still after salvation. And again, given these stakes, should anything else in life really matter? So here's the perspective we were given last time. The true plague in this world is unbelief. Awful lot of talk about disease uh, and the coronavirus and everything else nowadays, uh, but the true plague in this world is unbelief. Matthew 10, 26 to 39. Let's review the highlights from that passage. Go to Matthew 10, verse 28. Matthew 10, 28. I'm going to take a sip of my tea. Again, the true plague in this world is unbelief. Matthew 10, 28. Just a highlight reel. And do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather fear him 
who can destroy both soul and body in hell. How about verse 34? Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. And then look at verse 38. Whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. That's the big picture attitude, right? Uh, that's the thing that sort of just cuts right down the middle of all of humanity. Uh, the wheat and the tares, right? On one side is uh, the wheat, on the other side of the tares, right? Believers, unbelievers. Again, the true plague in this world is unbelief. We spent most of Sunday's message pivoting on the following point. Again, because when we step way back, that's what we see. We see these two uh, basic categories of human beings. So learn to see the big picture and be set free by it. Um, you know, and the examples the Spirit gave us last time was, you know, whether it's reading our Bibles, uh, reading our Bibles looking for context, or seeing the gospel on every single page, uh, or just, you know, seeking a relationship with the one who saved you. Each of these things comes into full focus when we are able to see the big picture the way God does, right? That's what we're after. We want to see that big picture. Uh, and that's been really a key tenet in my ministry for over a decade. And again, it's not about my ministry, right? I even, uh, I'm hesitant to say, you know, my ministry. I do have a ministry, but I hope you get the point. It's not about me. It's about what the Spirit's been saying for over a decade from uh, this pulpit. So that's why the Spirit's been bringing us back to this verse over and over again, John 5.39, because it really makes a division, right? It looks deep into our hearts, like why are we even doing what we're doing right now? Why are we reading our Bibles, right? So much of it has to do with our perspective and our attitudes. You search the Scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. That was the religious Jew, and it is they that bear witness about me. That's the big picture. Read the whole Bible it talks about me, he said, right? That's the big picture of the religious person even today. My fear then, to, to bring this a little more full circle, my fear then is that there will be a lot of people at Home Depot this summer, assuming it's reopened by then, that will be living a lie. That will be on the wrong side of that two-part equation, right? Or that two-part divide, Um my fear is there's going to be a lot of people at Home Depot uh, that will be living a lie, uh, thinking that because they are, you know, quote, making things nice around their house or adding to the collective flair of their posh neighborhood or fixing a drain pipe all on their own, uh, whatever the case may be, my fear is that they will be doing so in futility, in religion in trying to, you know, be a good person, as if that's what matters. Here's what matters on the grand stage, my friends, up here on the board. We saw this in James 1.27. Religion. We're going to talk about religion. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. We want to see the fruit of the Spirit? We just read it, right? Have a heart for others, in other words, and keep oneself unstained from the world. So let's focus our attention uh, once more on that last phrase. 
up here on the board, keep oneself unstained from the world. This essentially means to be clean from the filth of it. John 13, 5 to 8, Ephesians 5, 26. We'll get to this in a moment. To have a clean conscience, right? It means, essentially means to be clean from the, from the filth of it, to have a clean conscience, Hebrews 10, 22, to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, Colossians 1, 9 to 12. So let's see these reference passages so you can, you know, you can have this as wisdom for yourselves. Go to John 13, verse 5. John 13, verse 5. Again, what does this mean? What was James talking about? Keep oneself unstained from the world. This is what true religion looks like. Essentially, it means to be clean from the filth of it, to have a clean conscience, to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. The first point, though, essentially means to be clean from the filth of it. John 13, 5. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, what I'm doing you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. Oh, Peter. Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. In other words, my, if my salvation doesn't clean you, you'll never be clean no matter how much whitewashing you do afterwards. And that just really snaps us into perspective, doesn't it? If my salvation doesn't clean you, you won't be clean ever, no matter how much scrubbing or whitewashing you do. The Bible uh, speaks of Jesus, um, the one who is doing the washing in this scene, as the Logos, which is the Word. Um, and as we know from Holy Scripture, he not only washes us, but so does the Word. Go to Ephesians 5.26. Ephesians 5.26. Again, so we have this notion of being washed clean from the filth of the Word. Ephesians 5.26. That he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the Word. Again, that establishes our first point there, uh, keeping oneself unstained from the world up on the board. Uh, this essentially means to be clean from the filth of it. And we just noted that in John 13 and Ephesians 5. Second, to have a clean conscience, Hebrews 10, 22. Go there, go to Hebrews 10, verse 22. It also means to have a clean conscience. That's what keeping oneself unstained from the world is. A clean conscience, having a clean conscience, Hebrews 10, 22 reads, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. To have a clean conscience, this is what it means. Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Again, keeping oneself unstained from the world also means to have a clear conscience. Uh, finally, go to uh, Colossians 1, verse 9. Colossians 1, verse 9. And we'll see this last portion of this principle on the board. To walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. Colossians 1, verse 9. 
And this is what it means collectively, right? Uh, to keep oneself unstained from the world. Essentially means to be clean from the filth of it, to have a clean conscience, and to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. Go ahead and apply that to your life right now. Verse 9 of Colossians 1. And so, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will, that's the word, right? In all spiritual wisdom and understanding, that's what gives us clarity, that's what cleans us, right? Uh, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, right? So we're not filled with filth. We're not walking in the gutters, we're walking down Main Street, straight down the middle, right? So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. That's the word. Being strengthened with all power. That's the effect of the word. According to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father. That's our perspective. When we have right, uh, righteous perspective, we always give thanks. I'm thinking of 1 Thessalonians uh, 5, uh, 16 through 18. Always giving thanks for everything because that's what's pleasing, right? Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. Again, I just wanted you to have that as your own wisdom on that phrase, keep oneself unstained from the world. That's true religion. Um, this essentially means to be clean from the filth of it, to have a clean conscience, and to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. So take all that. And concentrate, okay? Concentrate. Everything we've uh, heard from the Spirit this in this message so far. Here's what we got. The Spirit has given us multiple things to think about. For starters, seeking the big picture. Second, from that perspective, whittling down the things that really matter to the gospel truth, which, as Jesus would say, separates the wheat from the tares, the sheep from the goats. There's only two kinds of people, remember. And then finally, we believers are to endure in this perspective by, quote, keeping ourselves unstained from the world. That's James 1, 27. Again, we are seeking the big picture, for that is where freedom lies for us. Up here on the board, Luke 11, 9 through 10 in the Amplified, so I say to you, ask and keep on asking, and it will be given to you. Seek and keep on seeking, and you will find. Knock and keep on knocking, and the door will be opened to you. This perspective is not out of reach. He just wants you to ask him for it. For everyone who keeps on asking persistently receives, and he who keeps on seeking persistently finds. And to him who keeps on knocking persistently, the door will be opened. So just a little perspective here. In the midst of all the chaos, think about your own life, think about life right now, the world, the state of the world. In the midst of all this chaos and this fear uh, and uncertainty in this world, we stand firm in Christ. We stand firm in Christ. That's what seeing the big picture is all about, my friends. We stand firm in him. Remember, we read scripture to find him. Uh, nothing ever surprises you. This is the beauty of this kind of perspective. 
Nothing ever surprises you because people act just as you would expect them to in their flushes. I mean, do you really, give me a second. <clears throat> do you really expect um, fearful people not to stock up on food and toilet paper to the detriment of their neighbors when a crisis hits? Do you really expect fearful people not to stock up on food and toilet paper to the detriment of their neighbors when a crisis hits? Do you really expect fearful people not to panic and create unnecessary hysteria? Do you really expect fearful people not to reach out to you and attempt to rope you into their bondage? I mean, do you expect anything else? In other words, these are all things that we, with big picture perspective, that is God's perspective on life, these are the things that we can bet our shirts on happening, right? That, my friends, is freedom. That in of itself, knowing that, seeing it, understanding it, uh, you're set free. That's freedom, folks, having that perspective. Nothing has to change with our circumstances, only our perspective. Our job is to remain unstained from the world. We do that by allowing the word of God to wash over us, to wash off all the filth and the grime and the fear-mongering and the panic. And we do that by maintaining a godly perspective on life, a la Hebrews 12, 2 in the Amplified, up here on the board. Looking away from all that, was, that will distract us and focusing our eyes on Jesus, who is the author and perfecter of faith, the first incentive for our belief and the one who brings our faith to maturity. Love it who for the joy of accomplishing the goal set before him endured the cross, disregarding the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God, revealing his deity, his authority, and the completion of his work. Do you see now the value of possessing the big picture? I hope. When we do see it, we are completely humbled by it. I don't know about you, but when I read Hebrews 12 too, I am completely floored, humbled. When we do see this big picture, um, we're humbled by it. As per our principle from last time up here on the board, this big picture is so big that it humbles us. And that's a beautiful thing. It's so big that it humbles us. Concentrate again. Just reflect for a moment. We, we aren't just humbled for the sake of prostrating ourselves before the holy sovereign God of the universe. We need to get that straight. That's not a bad thing, but God humbles us for a purpose. Repeat that to yourself. God humbles us for a purpose. We are not humble for the purpose of, let's say, quote, looking good religiously. It's not about even, you know, making God look good by being all humble. God humbles us for a real purpose. We are humbled uh, because that, my friends, is the way to life. We live it. We abide in it, right? Uh, as the Spirit's been teaching for years, humility is the key to the spiritual life. It's what unlocks. It's the key to it all, right? Heck, the Spirit's been teaching us this principle for years now. Here's what James had to say on that subject. 
up here on the board, James 4, 6 in the Amplified. But he gives us more and more grace through the power of the Holy Spirit to defy sin and live an obedient life that reflects both our faith and our gratitude for our salvation. Therefore, it says, God is opposed to the proud and haughty, but continually gives the gift of grace to the humble who turn away from self-righteousness. Again, concentrate. Let me see if I can uh, weave this together for you now. If the big picture humbles us, and humility leads us to grace, and freedom is a grace gift, then we may rightly conclude that the big picture perspective leads us to freedom. Again, this is one of the key tenets from this pulpit, my friends, for over a decade. Learn to see the big picture and be set free by it. God humbles us for a purpose. Do you understand that? It's not just to say, okay, now you're humble, I'm happy. No, it's that's the starting point, right? That's the key to the spiritual life. That's that's He pours grace out in your lap when you're humble, right? And so he wants us in a state of humility always. Uh, that's big picture, right? Um, so we learn to see the big picture and we're set free by it. Last time we considered Solomon's wisdom on the subject. Go to Ecclesiastes 1, verse 4. Ecclesiastes 1, verse 4. Last time we saw, you know, Solomon's wisdom on this thing. I mean, he pretty much described his life as, you know, I've done it all. And, uh, it's, you know, it's vanity is vanity. Everything's vanity, basically. <laughs> he said, all those attempts I made to, you know, I don't know, craft a different story or figure things out on my own or whatever it is he was uh, intent on doing. Uh, he came right back to the uh, the big picture perspective that God has held forever and ever. Ecclesiastes 1.4, a generation goes and a generation comes, uh, but the earth remains forever. Uh, verse 9, what has been is what will be, and what has been done is what will be done, and there is nothing new under the sun. We looked at this last time as well as a point of review up here on the board. There is nothing new under the sun. Today, you know, it's this crisis. And I put it in quotes because God only knows what people are calling crises now. And this, you know, today it's this crisis, tomorrow it's yet another, and so on, right? The only constant in life is change. However, with Christ the rock, our minds don't have to waver. Our hearts may remain steady. Our peace unshakable. All of these things are God-given rights as saints in Christ. My prayer is that God simply reveal the truth. That's it. That's what I want. And I want that for you, that you understand the truth. Because what, is, what does the Bible say? What did Jesus say? The truth shall make you free. That's my prayer, that God simply reveal the truth. That's it. After all, if we want wisdom, shouldn't we pursue it with the same heart that, let's say, Solomon did? I mean, look at, the, look at what the Lord gave him in terms of wisdom. Go to 1 Kings 3, 5. 1 Kings 3, 5. Look at what the Lord gave him in terms of wisdom. 1 Kings 3, verse 5. I'll take a sip of my tea in the process as you're turning. It's difficult now for me because I can't see or hear the pages turning, so I don't know when you're done. So hopefully this pace uh, has been good. I'm just going on uh, experience over the years. Uh, how long it takes people to get to certain uh, passages. First Kings 3, 5. 
At Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night, and God said, Ask what I shall give you. And Solomon said, You have shown great and steadfast love to your servant David, my father, because he walked before you in faithfulness, in righteousness, and in uprightness of heart toward you. And you have kept for him this great and steadfast love, and have given him a son to sit on his throne this day. And now, O Lord my God, you have made your servant king in place of David my father, although I am but a little child. I do not know how to go out or come in. Look at how humble uh, Solomon was. And your servant is in the midst of your people, whom you have chosen, a great people, too many to be numbered or counted for multitude. Give your servant, this is a re request, right? Give your servant, therefore, an understanding mind to govern your people, that I may discern between good and evil. For who is able to govern this, your great people? Look at this. It pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this. Could ask pretty much for anything, right? He was an open thing. Look at verse 5. Ask what I shall give you. He didn't give any real boundary condition. He said, go ahead and ask me what's on your heart. And look what he asked for. He asked for wisdom. And that pleased the Lord. Verse 11. And God said to him, because you have asked this and have not asked for yourself long life or riches or the life of your enemies... But have asked for yourself understanding to discern what is right. Behold, I now do according to your word. In other words, I'm going to give it to you. Behold, I give you a wise and discerning mind, so that none like you uh, has been before you, and none like you shall arise after you. Ask and you shall receive, right? I mean, did we not just see this in Holy Scripture? God isn't a liar, last time I checked. Did we not read that earlier? Ask and you shall receive. Knock and the door will be open. Seek you shall find. Did we not read that? Last time I checked, my friends, God isn't a liar. If you want wisdom, listen up. Ask God for it. Some of you need wisdom right now in your life because you've been, I don't know, maybe failing the test. Maybe time is telling you what your faith is actually made of. If you want wisdom, then ask God for it. Up here on the board, James 1, verse 5. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach. And guess what? It will be given to him. Think about that. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. Not maybe, it will be given to him. Right? He may answer and say, okay, good, I'm going to give you wisdom, but you got to read your Bible. I'm going to give you wisdom, but you got to listen to that ball guy. I'm going to give you wisdom, but you got to sign up for the blogs and read them. I'm going to give you wisdom if you step up to the plate in humility, if you obey me. Right? So you got to go to him, uh, to the throne of grace, uh, with humility. And, and, and with whatever he responds with, that's what you have to accept. But he will give it to you. He promises so wisdom, in the context of this, this message, um, is the big picture perspective that we're, that we're after. It is the big picture perspective. That's what we want. We want wisdom about this age that we live in. Uh, we want a simplified view of the world that we live in, uh, on, you know, on par or with parity with, with what I mentioned earlier about there's only two kinds of people. Is that the only way to dissect this world? Of course not. But... It's 
it's the starting point. It's 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 maybe the most simple of all ways, and the gospel literally is the cleaver between the two, right? Um, but nonetheless, that's wisdom, um, and that's big picture perspective. Ask for it. Go to him in prayer and ask for it. Go to 2 Thessalonians 3, verse 3. 2 Thessalonians 3, verse 3. Again, the point is, go to God and ask. That's James 1, 5. Just ask him. He promises that he will give you wisdom. 2 Thessalonians 3, verse 3. But the Lord is faithful. Don't believe me? Don't believe the Bible? Go ahead and put this to the test then. Seriously. The Lord is faithful. Either the point on the board, the, the verse on the board, James 1, 5, is, is a lie or it's true. Either he's faithful to his promises or he isn't. But the Lord is faithful. He will establish you and guard you against the evil one. And we have what? Confidence in the Lord. About you is just a modifier, right? We have confidence in the Lord. Think of the, the message series title. The Lord is our confidence, right? And we have confidence in the Lord about you, that you are doing and will do the things that we command. Uh, may the Lord direct your hearts to the love of God and to the steadfastness of Christ. As is always the case, we must apply these biblical doctrines to our lives. Now, the Spirit never lets this particular congregation off the hook. So to help, last time we considered uh, Job, who had his own daily problems to deal with, uh, and they were pretty vast and pretty large. Um, and after he got, you know, a little loose with God, uh, and God corrected him, he responded the way we would expect him to. We would expect a man of his, for lack of a better term, character, his, his caliber, to respond this way. Up here on the board, Job 42, 5 and 6. I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. Uh, so Job had like a, a, you know, an epiphany, if you would, an eye-open experience uh, through suffering even. Um, and I think the, obviously the Lord's bringing this up in our lives because some of us are suffering. Uh, not to this degree uh, that, I, that I know anyways, but nonetheless, the pattern is the same. Uh, if we humble ourselves before the mighty hand of God, he blesses us out. And that's what happened in Job. And if you finish reading the book, you know exactly what happened. He got twofold of everything. Uh, I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. Therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. And obviously, we can learn a lot from Job. For example, on that phrase, but now my eye sees you. Job finally saw and understood the immensity of God, his sovereignty, righteousness, and grace. Through suffering, Job was given greater insight into the big picture. That's something we should all be clinging to at this point. Through suffering, Job was given greater insight into the big picture. That's the pattern. We are called to understand this for ourselves, to gain wisdom through humility, and through humility gain strength, confidence, hope, and of course, freedom. Hence, Peter's reminder, go to 1 Peter 5, 6, 1 Peter 5, verse 6. This is what I love about, um, you know, the let's call it the 
congruous or the continuity of the Bible, right? That, that Old Testament and New Testament, it's the same. God's heart never changes. Uh, the Lord's mind never changes, right? That's what the Bible tells us. Same yesterday, today, and forever, right? First uh, Peter 5, 6. It reads very simply. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Be sober-minded. In other words, think clearly with the mind of Christ. Be sober-minded. Don't be polluted. Let the word wash over you. Let the word clear your conscience, right? To wash all the filth off, even your thinking. Be sober-minded. That's the opposite of intoxicated. In other words, think clearly with the mind of Christ. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Sound like Job? I think so. Verse 9, resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. We're all suffering in some way, right? Every single Christian suffers. That's a fact. Verse 10, and after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. Now, step back before we close. If you're suffering right now, I don't know, uh, maybe you're out of work, or you've been furloughed, uh, or you're sick, and you're scared, or you've spent too much time watching the news and all the fear-mongering that goes on, whatever the case may be, if you're suffering in some way, remember this up here on the board, suffering leads to sanctification. That's the practical side of why the Spirit's been preparing our minds the way he has been as of late, why he's asking us to look at the big picture. Uh, because when we look at the big picture, we're able to understand why it is we might be suffering in some way it doesn't even matter don't don't get all hung up in deserved or undeserved suffering um, or, or you know I you know self who cares at this point the point is that you suffer and it leads to sanctification right so if you're indeed suffering then see the big picture and be set free by it if you're suffering see the big picture and be set free by it that's right. Be set free by it. See, a worldly person will be like, I'm suffering, I'm in bondage. No, you're not. Not for a Christian, not for someone with a, a godly perspective. We see the big picture. We know that suffering leads to sanctification. We know that that's a very good thing. And so we're set free by it, knowing that God has our best interests in mind. Doesn't mean it's not painful, but nonetheless, where it counts, we're set free. And, you know, again, to reiterate, that's a unique ability given to we believers in Christ. Unbelievers do not have this ability. It's one of the, one of the you know, the, the ways we can, we can tell, you know, Jesus said, you shall know them by their fruit. Uh, we can tell there are two different categories of people in this world uh, by seeing some of us being set free during this time and being, you know, relaxed and uh, what have you, and others are flipping out all the time. Uh, who knows? Chances are it could be one side versus the other in that situation. But nonetheless, 
there's a unique ability given to we believers to be set free during suffering. And when we abide in this truth, when we're humbled by God, God gives us a greater grace. And we call that sanctification. Go to 1 Thessalonians 4.1 and then we'll close. 1 Thessalonians 4 verse 1. Again, God gives us a greater grace and we call this sanctification. So during this time in your life, uh, with the right big picture perspective, you're able to be set free. Not only that, you're sanctified. God's using this time, uh, that, this time of even discomfort for, for many of us, uh, times of you know uncertainty and change, He's using that to sanctify you. 1 Thessalonians 4.1, Finally then, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you received from us how you ought to walk and to please God, just as you are doing, that you do so more and more. In other words, no, ever rest on your laurels, right? Do so more and more. Be encouraged. For you know that uh, what instructions, excuse me, we gave you through the Lord Jesus. You ready? For this is the will of God, your sanctification. All you have to do is reverse engineer, right? Look at the point on the board. If suffering leads to sanctification, what do you think God's going to do if his will is for you to be sanctified? He's going to make you suffer. He's going to ordain suffering in your life. That's the big picture perspective that sets you free. It is God's will to sanctify us. So be humble and be set free, my friends. Okay, let's bow our heads. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this incredible privilege of studying your word here again together, Father, as family, as members of the body of Christ. Thank you for giving us this unique time of fellowship. We can't see each other but we're with each other always in spirit, Father. What a blessing it is to be this family, this congregation that you brought together. To hear these messages, to partake in this curriculum that you set forth and ordained from eternity past. What an incredible thing this is uh, to realize, to see the big picture, Father. Thank you for setting us free to whatever degree that happens. We do just ask for your blessings as we take the things we've learned back to the privacy of our own souls, to our families, Father, and then your will be done out to a world that needs it so desperately. We just ask these things in Jesus Christ's precious name. By the power of the Spirit, we do pray. Amen.